This is July 5th, 2016 at Chippensburg Bible School, and this is Brother Roger Lewis's second class on the spiritual habits of the saints of God, and he's entitled it, Building a Strong Bible Study Program. Well, good morning, everyone. I always forget that when you come to America, I have to wait for everyone to say good morning back, because when you say good morning in New Zealand, no one says good morning, you just carry on. So... Uh, every place in the world is, is a tad different. So how did we start yesterday in this particular series of studies? Um, we started by saying that the center of the truth is the doctrine of God manifestation. That God intends to fill the earth with himself. And that why he's calling men and women to a knowledge of the truth is not so much that we might be saved but that so that he might be manifested in those whom he does save. Naturally, we're thankful for salvation, and God asks us to rejoice in the hope of salvation, but the mindset is that we shouldn't be thinking about the fact that we're saved so that we can have fun and so that we can have eternal life and so that we can be powerful. No, no, no. We are asked to be saved so that we can better manifest the Father in the age to come, because that's what we want to do. We want to reveal him and not ourselves. So the truth really focuses around that idea, God manifestation. Everything else is subordinate to that. Every other doctrine links to that. Every other major biblical teaching can be understood through the lens, through the spectacles of God manifestation. If you're not sure about whether a doctrine in the Bible is correct, ask whether it works through the principle or the lens of God manifestation. Does it match God manifestation? If it does, it's probably correct. If it doesn't fit the concept of God manifestation, you probably need to look at it a little bit more closely before you would accept it. So here's the logic of our session this morning. If the whole purpose of the truth is God manifestation, how? Are we going to manifest God? Well, any thoughts on that? How can we manifest God? Any ideas on that? What's the key? Don't all speak at once. Yes. You can look to Christ. Well, that's a good answer because Christ was the perfect manifestation of his Father. And so he says, doesn't he, on one occasion, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Not literally in terms of what the Father might look like, but that looking upon Christ, you saw the character of the Father, the principles of the Father, the spirit of the Father exhibited in the life of his Son. Because it's true, isn't it, that, you know, if you look at each one of you, probably if we took each one of you and put them out the front here and we put their parents with them, what do you think you'd notice? You'd probably say, you know what, looking at him and looking at them, uh, there was no mix-up at the hospital. Because people have some connection, don't they, to their parents. You think, oh man, I can see where you come from. You must be a McIntyre. Because it's written all over them. Well, Christ belonged to his father's family. And when people looked at Christ, they knew that he belonged to God's family. Yes, so that's a good answer. But here's the question. So let's say we want to manifest Christ. How would we manifest Christ? Yes. Okay, by the life we live and the decisions we make and the example we set. That's quite a crisp trilogy of thoughts, isn't it? So three things. Okay, good, good answer. By the life we live, the decisions we make and the example we set. Question, how do we live that life? How do we make those decisions? How do we set that example? Well, shall I take away the mystery? It's all in the Bible and it's nowhere else. You can't know what God thinks without the Bible. You can't know how Christ behaves without the Bible. You can't make decisions without the Bible. 
If you do not have access to the Bible, you can never manifest the Father because this is the only place where God's will, God's purpose, God's plan is made known. Outside of that, you do not know. So if we want to manifest God and we want to be like Christ, we've got to get our heads into the Bible and we've got to become serious about the truth. Because the truth's a serious thing, serious enough for us to say, this is life or death. We can live our lives today and die like every other person outside in the world and that's the end of everything. Because that's all we'll ever have. Because the Father will not grant immortality to anyone who is not part of his purpose. Simple as that. You're not part of God's purpose, you have no future, no ultimate future. You go the way of all flesh. You live your mortal life, you do, do whatever you want to do, and when you hit the earth, you're gone for good. But the Father says, I'm interested in those who are serious about understanding me. And if you're serious about understanding God, you've got to get your head into this book, because this is the only place where we can come to know him and to understand him. So where it all starts is we need a good Bible study program. And this is the time... When I say this is the time, you are at the age when you need to start getting serious about this stuff. So let me tell you a little bit about my story, because everyone's got a story, haven't they? When I was about 10, we had one of those, you know, what's called, well, in New Zealand, we would call it a fraternal study weekend. And a visiting brother would come and he'd give two or three studies on the Saturday and there'd be a memorial meeting on the Sunday, perhaps a special lecture. And then everyone would go home, but it was a fraternal study weekend. You ever had one of those in your meeting? Um, most of us had that sort of experience. Well, this brother came, in fact, in my days, because it was a, just a few years ago, you never had one speaker. You had one speaker speak for 20 minutes and another speaker speak for 20 minutes and a third speaker speak for 20 minutes. That's what they did in those days. We had what I'd call little talks and three different speakers on three different topics. But one of the topics was Naaman the Syrian. Now, I was about 10. And this brother spoke about Naaman the Syrian. He actually described leprosy. And he described that leprosy is like a living death where the flesh rots. The flesh actually rots off the body until in the end parts of the body start falling off. If you put an elbow on the fire it burns because you didn't know because you've already lost all sense of feeling. And so lepers can actually cut themselves, damage themselves, maim themselves because, because their flesh is dying. Pretty gruesome. To a 10 year old boy that didn't know anything about leprosy this was pretty hideous spooky stuff. And then, and then the brother dropped the bombshell at the end of his study. He said, of course you realize that until you're baptized, God sees you as a leper, full of sin, and you're dying inside. And it was like something had hit me with a sledgehammer. And I went out the ecclesial hall and down the street and bawled my lights out because I was absolutely horrified that that's how God saw me. And at that stage, age 10, I decided I needed to be serious about the truth. In fact, at 12, I wanted to be baptized. But I knew that at 12, I just wasn't old enough to handle the issues of life and the demands of life. So I waited, but I started Bible study, and I became serious about Bible study at the age of 15. At 16, I couldn't wait any longer. I said to my mum and dad, I've got to be baptized. I've got to wash away the sin. So what I'm about to show you is what I did, what I started at the age of 15. This is how I got serious about building a good Bible study program. So what I did was this. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights, two hours a night Bible study from 15. Saturdays, eight hours. Sunday, eight hours. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two hours a night. Because I had homework and other stuff to do. But I never let up from that rhythm and that routine of Bible study from that time forward. And you know what? I'm a tad older than 15 now, and I'm really sorry I didn't spend more time. Because there's so many more things I want to discover in God's Word. So many more things I want to understand. So many more puzzles I want to unravel. So many more mysteries I want to solve. I wish I'd spent more time at 15, not less. 
If you want to really know God, you've got to be serious about it. Because one of the things that God does is this. He never reveals the secrets of the Scripture to those who are half-hearted or to those who are scornful or to those who are frivolous. He only opens the mysteries of his book to those who are serious and humble and come before him in prayer. So here's my program from age 15. So here's the first thing. You know there's different types of Bible study. So if you're thinking about what to do and where to start, here's some suggestions, because this is how I began my journey of Bible study. You see, a book study is helpful, a whole book of the Bible is helpful because it develops a knowledge of the revelation of divine thoughts. How does God unfold his purpose? It, it shows that purpose being outworked through a particular story of a particular book of the Bible, and you learn to go with that story. You know, I always find it interesting when you have a study that, that sort of, you know, hops around all over the place about something to do with the life of whatever, let's say the book of Timothy, and people will hop from something in chapter 1 to something in chapter 4 to something in chapter 3 to something in chapter 5 to something in chapter 1. I think, actually, here's a radical thought. Why don't you just go through chapter 1? That's the way God wrote it. Why don't you just study chapter 1? Maybe starting it now, let me think. Could it be verse 1? Why don't you just study it the way God wrote it? It's a discipline to follow how God unfolded that story in that book. And of course, what Bible books also do is they, they start to unfold to our thinking the epochs of divine history, that there's been certain stages in the progress of the Father's purpose. So doing a book study is really helpful. Mind you, we have to be careful what book we start with, don't we? Do you know the very first piece of Bible marking I did? My first wide margin Bible. It had a blue cardboard cover. Must have been a cheap version, but I thought it was fantastic because my mum and dad had bought it for me. And I decided I was going to do some Bible marking. I didn't have a pencil, but what I did have was a red ballpoint pen and a blue ballpoint pen and a green ballpoint pen. And I knew that everyone else marked their stuff mainly in black for the text and quotes in red, but I thought, no, mine's going to be different, so I did my writing in green and my quotes in red and other stuff in black. I thought it looked fantastic. And what I did was I got out H.P. Mansfield's exposition of the book of Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse, and I started in chapter 1, and I got his verse-by-verse -verse notes, and I marked them into the margin of my Bible. And the very first thing that went into my Bible was Revelation chapter 1. And you know what? When I'd finished filling up all of my margin with the quotes out of the book, I had no idea what the book of Revelation was about until I figured out I'd started at the wrong end of the Bible. That actually, it might have been better if I went back to Genesis first. So we're going to be careful how we start. And, and even the size of the book counts too, doesn't it? Because the book of Genesis, you might want to not study the whole book of Genesis to start with because it's a pretty big book. But what's a small book? Anyone tell me a small book of the Bible? Can you think of any small books? Who can think of the smallest book? What do you reckon is a small book? Ruth's a good size. How many chapters in the book of Ruth? Um, four? Four chapters? Any other small books? Sorry? Jude's getting really small, isn't it? So only one chapter, yes. Uh, second of John, third of John, both only one chapter. Uh, even some of the minor prophets, Obadiah's only one chapter. So we could choose a book that was small because why would it be good to start with a small book? Any thoughts? Yes. Because every page is packed with Because every page is packed with you mean every every page of every book is packed with references or everything's connected to everything else. Yeah. yeah. So so the point is that if you start with a small book, guess what? You can finish it as well as start it. You think, you know what? I've just studied a book of the Bible. Whereas if you chose the book of Isaiah which has got how many chapters? 66. You think, hmm, this could be taking quite a while. Maybe this is too big a book to start with. So be careful what you choose. But a book study, well, that's, that's a good thing to do. What about a word study? Now, why would a word study be helpful? Well, because what a word study does is it creates an awareness of the uniqueness of divine language. 
How does God use words in the Bible? The value of contextual meanings. One of the things that I haven't got time to talk about here, but it's one of my favorite topics, is I believe every Christadelphian should be a fantastic contextual scholar rather than a good textual scholar. And what that means is this. Textual scholarship is all about unpacking the Hebrew of the Old Testament or the Greek of the New Testament. Hands up those that consider that they're great Greek scholars. Hands up those that consider they're superb Hebrew scholars. Not many hands. Guess what? Relax. You probably never will be. Would you like to see how many hands I put up to be a great Hebrew or Greek scholar? Now, I know a thing or two about Greek or Hebrew, but I would never, ever pretend to be a good Greek or Hebrew scholar because my knowledge isn't deep enough. And by the way, I don't want it to be because even the Hebrew and Greek scholars argue endlessly about what this word or that word or this little diphthong or that addition means in one particular manuscript versus that manuscript, and they still can't make up their minds. No, no, no. What Christadelphians want to be is fantastic contextual scholars. Now, what do you think contextual scholarship is about? It's allowing the Bible to speak for itself so that passage answers to passage. And the reason why we know that that passage does mean this is because the Apostle Paul quotes it in the New Testament and explains what that verse means. Now we've got a contextual proof from within the Bible as to what that verse might mean. Contextual scholarship is the realm of expertise that Christadelphians learn to develop because we allow the Bible to speak about itself. And we should be good, very, very good contextual scholars. More than once, I've been asked to solve a Bible problem where someone said, what about this? And you say, well, actually the answer lies in the context because the context of that chapter has got nothing to do with what you're saying it means. Oh, the context, the context is the key. Now, what a good word study does is allow you to understand the value of of words sitting in context. By the way, if you were going to look up a Hebrew or Greek word, what books would you use? Anyone know what the fundamental books you would use would be? If you were looking up a Greek or Hebrew word? Yes. Strong's Concordance of the Bible by James Strong. Absolutely. So you could look up Strong's for a Hebrew word or a Greek word. If you wanted something more than Strong's, what might you add to Strong's? Anyone know? Sorry? Yes, you could add a lexicon, and, uh, and now we're really getting into the deep and meaningful. So you could have a Greek lexicon, so we could have Tyre's Greek or Vine's Expository Dictionary, or on the Hebrew side, we could, have, we could have Jesenius or a number of other Hebrew lexicons, and that would add further knowledge about the words. An even more interesting lexicon is Englishman's Greek and Hebrew, which gives you, the, the, in, the, in the English, every time a particular Hebrew word is used, irrespective of how it's translated. And every time a Greek word is used, irrespective of how it's translated. And that's really helpful too. But do you know what's good about this? You can build your own personal lexicon of Bible words and prove to yourself what they mean instead of, instead of Mr. Strong's telling you what it means. You can say, I've proved to myself by studying that word in the context of its Bible settings. We can build our own private lexicon to study the Bible. So word studies, quite good. We, we also have doctrinal studies because um, it builds a conviction in the importance of divine doctrine. What are the key doctrines? What are the power of the moral truths that come out of those doctrines? And what about the unity of Bible foundations? Because you see, everything in the Bible is connected to everything else. And the key doctrines are like sort of the foundation stones on which the building of the Bible is constructed. Get the foundations right and everything else works. And every Bible doctrine has a moral truth that stands behind that doctrine. For example, God manifestation. God says, I am one, I am he, there is no God besides me, I am unique, I'm one. So what does the oneness of God teach us as a moral truth? That if God is one, that we must be of one heart and one mind in seeking to serve him and to manifest him. If God is one, then we should be, we should be single-minded about our pursuit of the truth. That's the moral doctrine that flows out of that theme of the oneness of God. Every Bible doctrine has a moral truth connected with it. You discovered any of those? Powerful once you've got them. Wonderful to study. So what other types of Bible study might there be? Well, obviously there would be prophetic studies. 
Because what prophecy does is it establishes our appreciation of the divine control of the events going on in human history. Earlier on, Brother Matt Trell in the Bible school spoke about what's just happened in Britain. My mother, who's just, just coming to her 90th birthday, rang me up on the night of the vote, terribly excited, late at night. She said, I've just heard, I've just heard the votes come through and they're, go, they're going to leave, they're going to leave the European country. And she was so excited. Do you know why? Because 40 years ago, my mother was one of those brothers and sisters that saw Britain joining the common market and thought, that's not right. That doesn't fit Bible prophecy. That's not what we expect. And my mother, along with all her generation, were puzzled as to why that would be. And 40 years later, Britain's come out of the common market exactly as we would expect in terms of Bible prophecy. She was excited as could be at age 90 because Bible prophecy had just come to pass in a matter that we knew. You know, it's interesting. The experts and the pollsters and all the people that understand about the politics of votes all predicted that the vote would be that they would remain in Europe and suddenly the vote went the other way and all the experts said, we're staggered, we're shocked, we're surprised and Christadelphians said, we're not. We already knew what the Bible said. We know what the newspapers will say ahead of its time because we understand Bible prophecy. Don't ever be told, young people, that we shouldn't study Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is God's gift to us that we might be prepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the excitement of the signs of the times being outworked in the midst of the nations is powerful evidence that the angels are at work on God's behalf right now. They show to us the certainty of Bible promises being outworked. But we can also do a thematic study. And what a thematic study is about is it enables us to understand and to recognize the pattern of divine principles and the prevalence of golden themes that run through the scripture and the wonder of Bible harmony for that matter. In fact, it was Brother Harry Tennant that once said, and I've always loved this expression, he said, when you find an interesting verse in the Bible, he said, give it a good pull. Because he said, you'll never know what other verses will move in the scripture when you give this one a pull. It's like a golden thread woven right through the Bible. Give that one a pull and see which other verses move. Golden themes, you see. Well, that's what thematic studies do. We take a theme. What could a theme be? Can you think of a thematic study? What would a thematic study be? Like a Bible theme that runs right through the Bible. It's not a book, it's not a word, it's not a prophecy, it's a theme. Give me a theme. Any thoughts? Sacrifice. Great thematic study. Yep. Sacrifice both in the Old and the New Testament and maybe even sacrifice in the age to come based upon that. So yes, you could take a thematic study. It could be the kingdom of God. Any reference to the kingdom of God down through all the scriptures and what will happen in the kingdom of God. Sacrifice in the age to come or, or even just the theme of sacrifice. In fact, do you know a great way to do that theme? Brother H.P. Mansfield said this. If you want to do a good thematic study, what you do is at the front of your Bible, you keep a little notebook and in that notebook, every day when you do your daily readings, you write down, every time there's a passage that turns up about sacrifice, you put it in your notebook. And when you get to the end of the year, you'll have every reference in the Bible to sacrifice. It may not even mention the word sacrifice, but if it's got something to do with sacrifice, it's in your notebook. Now you can tease all those passages out and say, what's the theme here? And start building a set of studies on sacrifice because you've actually written them in your notebook. And you know why that's such a, a good idea? Because not only do you see your notebook growing with the theme of sacrifice, but guess what? You can't afford to miss one day of the daily readings because you might miss a cracker quotation about sacrifice. So now you're committed to the daily readings. And we could also do a character study. Oh, now character studies are good, aren't they? Because you see, what a character study does is it helps us to understand the reality of divine providence at work in the lives of individuals and the emotion of spiritual growth and the wisdom of Bible counsel. Because one of the things that I think that you would be as encouraged by, I, I, I found this personally extremely helpful, is the amazing thing about the people in the Bible is guess what? They were human beings just like you and me. They had triumphs and tragedies. They had successes and failures. They had coughs and colds. They had broken bones. They had all the worries of life that we do. But the Bible records their stories so that we can see how that through faith they conquered life's adversities 
and manifested their father despite the weakness of mortality. Bible story, Bible characters are amazingly helpful. Some of my best moments with Bible characters have been alone in my room in my darkest times of despair and I found a Bible character that went through the same difficulty in life as I did. And I felt hugely, hugely comforted to know that, that there in the Bible was someone that knew exactly what I felt and had been on the same journey. So here's what I did 15 years ago, not 15 years ago, when I was 15, which unfortunately is a tad more than 15 years ago. I said, well, I've got to build a study program. How am I going to do that? Well, let's break up the Bible. So this is my Bible study series one uh, of a Bible study chart that I built at that stage at the age of 15. And um, I've got three of these, so I'm only showing you series one. But just so you know, there's a couple of other series that do exactly the same but suggest other thoughts. So this is how I broke up the Bible. Not saying it's the only way to break it up, but it's helpful because the Bible's so big that already you think, oh, it's overwhelming, I don't know where to start. So this was designed to help me break the Bible down into smaller sections to see how I might start tackling Bible study. I hope you might find this helpful as well. Now, why would you have Genesis to Deuteronomy? Why would that be a good first section? What's the logic of that? Because? Because it's the law of Moses. The five books of the Torah, absolutely all written by Moses. So it's sort of like a logical section, isn't it, in itself? If we said, well, let's do something out of the book of the law. And um, some of the things that I started with were the creation and the fall, Genesis 1 to 3, the promises to Abraham, Genesis 12 to 22, perhaps the law of offerings in Leviticus 1 to 7. So if you had studied the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering and the trespass offering and the meal offering and the drink offering in Leviticus 1 to 7, you've just cracked all of the Bible offerings. That's a tremendous study to do. Very, very helpful because now every time the peace offering turns up, anywhere in the Bible you think, oh, I know what that's about. I've done a study on the offerings, Leviticus 1 to 7. I think that's a really good study to do early on in the peace. Or the calendar of Israel in Leviticus 23, which walks us through the whole of the year in terms of the observances of the feasts of Yahweh throughout the calendar year. These are all really good studies to do just by themselves. So those are some things out of the book of the law. And then we've got Joshua, Judges, uh, Ruth, which is really like a section relating to the time of the conquest of the land. Maybe the cities of refuge in Joshua 20 would be a good study. Or the cycle of the Judges in Judges chapter 2 and onwards, which shows that Israel went through the same cycle of, of making mistakes and coming back to God, and making mistakes and coming back to God, all the way through the book of the Judges. Really good thing to mark into the book of Judges. Did you know that chapters 17 to 21 are a set of appendices to the book of Judges, but they actually were probably written right at the start of the book, but they're at the end for a reason. What's the reason? Why are they there? What do they teach? Well, that would be a good study, the appendices to the book of Judges. And what about the parable of Ruth? Because it isn't just Ruth 1, 2, and 3, and 4. There's a parable, a secret parable sitting behind the book of Ruth. Do you know what the parable to the book of Ruth is? Have you got that nailed? Is that part of your Bible study program? You haven't? Well, when are you going to do it? Have you got it down on your list? You see, I was so excited at 15, I had a huge list of things that I wanted to tackle, wanted to study, wanted to learn. Have you got a list? Maybe it's time to start thinking about beginning a list of what you'd like to study in the Scriptures to come and know God more perfectly. Well, the next section that I broke up was 1st of Samuel to 2nd Chronicles, because these are really the chapters in the story of the, of the, well, the work of Samuel leading into the monarchy. And so you've got Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, and we go right through the story of the kings. So we've got lots of exciting things in there, including the slaying of Goliath and the promises to David. Um, Ezra to Esther are the, really the books about the return from the exile. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther are three books in the middle about the time of the return. 
and there's some pretty exciting things in those books as well. In fact, one of the things that's really helpful to do, and clearly it's not a particular passage to look at, but figuring out the chronology of the return. Do you know that it isn't just Ezra, and it isn't just Nehemiah, and it isn't just Esther, it's also the prophet Zechariah, and the prophet Haggai, and the prophet Malachi. And it's the work of Joshua, and the work of Ezra, and the work of Zerubbabel, and the work of Nehemiah. So how does all that work out? How does that all work? What's the timeline for all of that? Have you ever figured out the chronology of that time? Is it in your Bible? You got it marked? Are you going to do that? Very, very helpful study to do, the chronology of the return. Why Job to Song of Solomon? Anyone like to have a guess? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. What's the connection? Anyone know? Anyone know the link? What are they all? They're all something. You know what they are? They're all a particular type of book. Actually, they're all a particular type of writing style. You know what the writing style is? They're all poetical books. These are the poetical books. Five poetical books sitting smack in the middle of the Old Testament. So, that's a good set to look at. What about Satan in the book of Job? dum da dum dum da Job chapter 1. Ever figured that story out? Who is the Satan in the book of Job? That's a really good study. The titles to the Psalms, the two women in Proverbs 1 to 9. And who is the writer of Ecclesiastes, a man called Coeleth? Who do you think he really was? And have you got Bible evidence for it? And might that be helpful to know who the writer was? Well, Isaiah to Daniel takes us through the, the four great prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, here are the four great prophets of the Old Testament record. And we've got lots of exciting things in any one of those uh, books that we could look at, dozens of things that we could do, including some of the ones that I've mentioned there. And that re leaves us the rest of the minor prophets, as they're called, Hosea to Malachi. And you could start with one of these because they're all quite small. Obadiah's got one chapter, Jonah's got four, Haggai's got two, Malachi's got four. These are not big books. You could do a minor prophet and feel a sense. You could say, right, I'm going to do the prophecy of Malachi and um, I'm going to have that finished before the end of the year. The first minor prophet that I'm going to study. And... And then we come to the Gospels, and of course there's four of those as well, and there's lots of things in the Gospels that we could do aren't there. The Discourse on the Mountain, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 to 7, the parable of the sower in Mark 4. You know that only Luke really tells us about the childhood of Christ. Matthew doesn't, Mark doesn't, John doesn't. Only Luke tells us about the childhood of Christ. Question, why does only Luke tell us about the childhood of Christ? Do you know? Why does only Luke mention that? Why does Luke need to tell us that? What's the story of the childhood of Christ? Do you know? See, the thing is, I tell you what, it's not till you ask, start asking questions about the Bible that you realize how much you don't know. Well, guess what? Christadelphians are supposed to be the people of the book. We're noted as Bible students. We're known in the world as a community of Bible students. Well, guess what? It's time to start learning about it because there's a thousand things to learn and all of them are powerful and exciting. Well, the Acts of the Apostles is clearly a large section in its own right and there's lots of things we could do in the Acts of the Apostles. Do you know about the five journeys of Paul? The five journeys of Paul? Yes, the five journeys of Paul. Ever investigated that? Do you know where they are and how you'd figure them out? be a good idea to have a little box somewhere in your Bible, somewhere in Acts, that records the five journeys of the Apostle Paul. Romans to 2 Corinthians are the larger epistles at the start of the epistles, and there's lots of things we could do in those. And likewise, the what are, the, what are these here? Galatians to 2 Thessalonians? This is the rest of the epistles of Paul. And in all of those, there's again uh, specific special studies that we could do uh, relative to those epistles. And these are what, what, anyone know what they're called? First of Timothy, second of Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are known as the pastoral letters or the pastoral epistles. Why are they called that? Well, that's something you need to find out. 
What's the lesson? What's the secret of the pastoral epistles? And there's lots of interesting sayings and lots of interesting ideas in those particular um, Bible books. Well, Hebrews is sort of like a section in its own right, really. It's a a major epistle with major uh, purposes and major consequences. James to Jude is the rest of the epistles that are left, written by other writers. James, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude. And then lastly, of course, the book of Revelation. Do you know how often Daniel figures in the book of Revelation? Why does Daniel turn up in the book of Revelation? Ah, well, there's a reason. What's the connection? What's the links between Daniel and Revelation? Have you understood that? Have you got that marked up? Have you looked at the beast of Revelation? Ever considered the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21? There's no shortage of things, in case you didn't guess, there's no shortage of things to start doing Bible study on. Sometimes I hear young people saying, well, I just don't know what to study. Don't know what to study? Hello? There's a thousand things to study. This is only my series one. This is just early stuff, just to sort of whet your appetite. There's a lot more to do. And all of it's wonderful and interesting. So word studies, some suggested word studies, starting, by the way, with the name and, t- the, name and the titles of deity. Why? Because if you want to understand God manifestation, to know what the Yahweh name means and what Elohim means and Eloah means and Surveoth means is very, very helpful in terms of your subsequent Bible study. And likewise, if we were going to do some doctrinal studies, I think God manifestation should be high up on the list to do one of those early as well. So hands up those that have ever heard a lecture on the invasion of Gog. What chapter of the Bible? Wrong. Or actually, well, you're sort of right, but not. He's right because, yes, Ezekiel, absolutely right, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, by the way, there is a Gog, anime Gog, in Revelation chapter 20, but it's not the same invasion as Ezekiel 38. The circumstances of Revelation chapter 20 are right at the end of the thousand years of Christ's reign. But there's some reason why the power of that age is called Gog and Magog. What's the connection between the Gog and Magog of Revelation and the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38? Do you know the link? Do you know why that name is used again in the book of Revelation? That would be an interesting study. Quite right. Uh, Thematic studies. What about the angels of God? Anyone heard a good set of studies on the angels of God? Hands up those who have heard Brother Ron Cowie on the angels of God. You never heard Ron Cowie on the angels of God? You need to get those tapes. Fantastic studies. You'll have the hairs sticking up on the back of your neck. The power of the angels at work in our lives. The thought that every one of us has a personal angel who I'm sure sometimes shakes their head wondering what on earth we're doing. The angels of God. Tremendous thematic study. And lastly, character studies. Well, Abraham and Sarah is one of my favorites. Joseph, Hannah, Peter, there's lots of Bible characters to choose from. Now look, all of this is really just to say to you, there's no shortage of things to do Bible study on. You just need to get cracking. No time to waste. So remember, you can download a copy of this from the uh, Bible School website, after the Bible School, and have that complete list. If you think, what might I choose? Um, Let me take something off that list. So I wrote that list up at 15, and said, that's how I'm going to start. So here's the next thing I did. I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be serious about this, which I was, then one of the things I probably ought to do is to make sure that I alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. Why would that be a good idea, do you think? To what? Okay, yes, to keep it interesting. Not that the Old or the New Testament aren't interesting, so we switch to the other one, but we want to keep on changing our focus. But the real thing is that if we're going Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, what are we doing? We're starting to hear Bible echoes. You go into the New Testament, you think, oh, that's something I've seen in the Old. You go back to the Old, you think, oh, actually, there's a comment on that in the New. And gradually you start to hear the calls of the Bible as it calls from passage to passage and book to book and page to page and phrase to phrase. And you think, wow, I can hear these noises. I can hear all these, I can hear these verses talking to each other in the Bible. Wow, I can hear the Bible in stereo. You know the really sad thing about the churches? They've abandoned the Old Testament. They only believe in the New Testament. How can you possibly understand the New Testament without the Old Testament? It's not possible. So what this does is this, and what this guards against is this. 
You see, imagine that, for example, I really like the book of Psalms. I could study all the Psalms. Terrific. But if I knew nothing about the minor prophets and didn't have a clue about the epistles and never knew anything about the gospels, then I haven't really got a good grasp of the Bible yet, have I? I've just focused in one area, the book of Psalms. I'm not necessarily going to have a well-rounded, balanced understanding of the divine counsels of God. God's given us all the book, the whole counsel of God. And if God's counsel starts from Genesis and runs to Revelation, then we need to be carefully moving between one and the other. Make a specific time for study on your diary and consider it an appointment with God. That's what I did. Saturday afternoons, hey, we're just going down to the beach. We're going to play volleyball. By the way, I enjoy playing volleyball. Look, I'd love to, but I can't. I already have an appointment. What I didn't say was I had an appointment with God because it was on my diary to do Bible study at that time that others were going down to the beach. But I made a choice. It's either the volleyball or Job chapter 1, who's the Satan. I think I'll look at Job 1. That's an appointment you've made. If you make appointments in your life, don't break them. If you make appointments with God, keep them. That's how you need to treat your Bible study. Have a definite objective for completing a study and a spirit of determination for completing it. Because otherwise, if you start a study, you'll drift. So you'll start Malachi and for some reason or another, stuff will go on and suddenly um, a year's gone past and apparently you're still studying Malachi. No, no, no. Give yourself a timetable to try and do the best you can to accomplish something in Malachi and then move on. Be determined to accomplish it and move on. Set yourself a deadline. Put yourself under the pressure of saying, I must accomplish something here. Desire to know the whole counsel and the character of God. So incidentally, I didn't just go from Old Testament to New Testament to Old Testament to New Testament. What else do you think I might have done? Based on what we looked at earlier, what else might I have done? Any thoughts? Sorry? Yeah, look for the connections, but also I did a word study, then I did a thematic study, then I did a character study, then I would do a prophetic study, then I would do a word study, then I would do a doctrinal study, then I would do... And so you, do, you did different types of Bible study as well, so that you were developing familiarity with all the counsels of God. Always have your next three studies chosen and work on collecting material for these. So at home I have a whole bunch of sleeves, plastic sleeves, and I'm putting stuff in there as I find it and track it down. So I'm running about three studies ahead. I've got three studies on the go at the moment and I have about another three studies that I'm already collecting material for. I've been doing that now, well, I won't tell you how many years I've been doing it for. Yes, I will. I've been doing it for well over 40 years. Three studies on the go, three studies ahead. Have you got three studies on the go? Are you looking three studies ahead? Are you collecting stuff for them? Why not? Are you serious about this? This is about knowing God so we can manifest Him. There's no other way other than getting to grips with the power of Scripture and seeing the power of that Scripture at work in our own lives. So we've got to build a study program and be serious about it. And the other thing we've got to do is I think we've got to commit to a proper program of spiritual activity. So this is how I did it for what it's worth. I think we'll talk about that in our next session because we're, we're going to talk about prayer. But one of my rules was if I'm going to have prayer in my life I need to practice it because no one finds prayer very easy. And just so you know it's no easier 40 years later. Because coming into the presence of God is something that we all find difficult because he is the royal majesty of the heavens, and we must never forget that. You do not ever, ever come before God in a casual spirit. Even your posture. I could never pray to God like this. Would you stand before the President of America like that? Or the Queen of England? No. 
Well, then don't come before God like that. Even posture is part of how we show respect to the majesty of the heavens. If we want God to hear our prayers, then be absolutely focused on what you're doing when you pray. How do you start that? At least begin the routine of prayer in your life. Start to build it. Start to make it serious in your life. Well, Bible readings. Well, isn't it interesting that in our community we have a little book called the Bible Companion that allows us to read three portions a day. So here's my recommendation. This is what I did. For at least the first 10 years of your spiritual life after baptism, do not miss the daily readings. Now, I no longer always manage to do the daily readings because I've got so many other things to do in terms of my spiritual responsibilities, if I can call it that. But I'm in my Bible every single day of my life without fail. But why the daily readings for at least a decade after you're baptized? Any thoughts on that? Why, would you, why should you stick to the daily readings? Any thoughts? Who wrote the Bible Companion? Robert Roberts. How old was he when he wrote it? I think there's sort of different views on this. 15? Any advance on 15? I thought it was slightly earlier than that, but 15's a good, 15 sounds like a pretty good age to me. Do you know why he wrote it? He didn't write it to say, well, if you do these readings a day, you've done your Bible study. Uh, 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 uh. No, he said, I want to be a serious Bible student, and the only way I can be a Bible student is I, I first need to know what the Bible says, so let's have a Bible companion so that at least I get familiar with the Bible as a basis to then start doing some serious Bible study. Bible readings aren't Bible study. That's just so that we start to get familiar with what the Bible says. But you know what Bible readings do? They, they help us to hear those echoes. Because every day you're moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on through the scripture, and suddenly you start to hear some of those echoes. Don't miss your Bible readings. That's how you learn about times and places and people and events and stories. Suddenly it all gets embedded into the mind. If you want to be serious about the Bible, let me tell you now, no Bible software program will develop a spiritual mind inside you. Only you can. Not saying you don't use Bible software to help, but it won't build a spiritual mind for you. It's only your time in this book that will do that, and so you need to get on with it. Bible study and meditation, well, why not three times a week? Now look, if you say, look, I couldn't study two hours a day, two hours a day, I can't focus for ten minutes. Well, then start with a small portion. If it's difficult for you to learn how to meditate, by the way, that, I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges to your generation. Do you know, when Robert Roberts spoke, he could speak for two hours, and a group of people, strangers could come, without any educational learning, and they would listen to, to Brother Roberts for two hours and follow the argument. Could you follow a detailed argument for two hours? Probably not, because guess what's happened to attention spans? in the last two generations. How long can people pay attention now without being distracted or want to do something else? Your powers of attention are possibly not as good as they ought to be. You want to be serious? You need to do some deep knowledge work in the scripture and you'll learn, you'll need to learn how to pay attention. So start with maybe 10 minutes, start with 15 minutes. Have three sessions of 15 minutes and then extend it to 20 and then extend it to half an hour and then build it up as you go as you feel that your attentional powers are growing. But you will absolutely thank yourself if you learn to develop the power of attention and book readings three times a week. Have a book beside your bed. That's what I did. One of the books of the truth, mind you, sitting beside my bed to read on a regular basis. And because of that, and because I'm a voracious reader, I would chew through a whole bunch of books every year just in terms of other reading and the brotherhood and the community to become familiar with what our community has written. Now, uh, you, you may not have heard of this idea before, but you know the world's divided into two basic categories. 
Everybody in the flesh who thinks according to the flesh, you might describe as the red line of the seed of the serpent. So imagine a red line coming straight down through here. And everyone in the world belongs to the red line. But over here is the blue line, and everybody in the blue line are those who think according to the spirit because they reason scripturally because they're part of the seed of the woman community that the Bible teaches and that God is going to work with through whom he will be manifested. The blue line and the red line. The red line, seed of the serpent. The blue line, seed of the woman. Guess what? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Red line stuff or blue line stuff? What thinkest thou? Which group do you want to belong to? Do you want to belong to the blue line? Then get serious about the blue line. And stop reading books out of the red line. If you belong to the blue line, start working on the blue line. So here's a test for you. So just the blue line, let's take the writings of the brotherhood, that's the seed of the woman community that we belong to. So could you name three books written by brothers in Christadelphia on the theme of God manifestation? Could you name them? What about three books on the doctrine of the atonement? Could you name them? What about three books on the life of Christ? Could you name them? What about three books on the power of prayer? Could you name them? What about three books on the role of Israel? Could you name them? Three books in our community on each of those topics. Could you do that? They're blue line books. Are you part of the blue line? Do you want to be part of the blue line? Do you belong to the blue line? Well, do you know what the blue line's written? These are your brothers and sisters. This is the community we belong to. And all those topics have been written about. Could you name three books written by brothers in the truth on the following Bible books? The book of Leviticus. Three writings? Book of Psalms? Three writings? The prophecy of Daniel. Three books? The epistle to the Hebrews. Three books? The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, you don't need to tell me whether one of those books comes to mind for each of those, or two or three, or none. But you need to think about the fact that if you can't think of any of those books, are you serious about the truth? Do you want the truth? Are you committed to the truth? Do you know, if you go through any tertiary study education, it doesn't matter whether you're going to be a doctor or an engineer, there'll be a, ba a, base, a bunch of textbooks you've got to study, and you've got to pass those textbooks before you've even qualified for the basics of being an engineer. They're the textbooks. Well, guess what? We've got a whole bunch of textbooks in our community which brilliant brothers and sisters from the past have written because they loved the Bible and wrote, and wrote uh, profusely upon. They're our heritage, and you don't even know what they are which is really the next part is, well, then we need a study library. Could you name three books by John Thomas? Could you name three books by Robert Roberts? Could you name three books by Charles Walker? Could you name three books by John Carter? Could you name three books by Islip Collier? Now, look, all I'm trying to say here is, you've got some work to do. And if you want to grow in the truth and manifest God, then don't pretend about it. One of the things that I always say to young people is, look, if you want the truth, grab hold of it with both hands and be serious, and God will bless those endeavors. But do not be half-hearted, because God will not reward that. The truth is life-changing and life-promising. But we've got to get our heads into the one place where we can find who God is, and what he's about, if we're in fact to prosper before him and to receive his blessings. So at the end of that rather passionate dissertation, and since I'm already four minutes over time, we'll consider the session closed. Thank you.